Good evening and welcome to the Recollective Podcast. My name is Charlie Beale and I'm joined by my good mate Tom Goodfellow in what was the original incarnation of this podcast, just the two of us. Yes, absolutely. And uh, we've had something of a hiatus, haven't we, over the summer? Yeah, it's been a it's been a short break. Listeners have been not in any way aware of our break because I've been drip feeding podcasts in a regular way that belies when they were recorded. Uh, sorry, I've given the game away. Um, yeah. No, it's good. To, it's good. It's very. It's very good to be back. We're all. Uh, we're getting ready for back to school. Um, if not our, ourselves, our children. We're we're thinking about this uncertain autumn, and we're ready to podcast our way right through it. <laughs> so the reason we've done it, gone back to the two-hander is it's quite a personal episode this evening. I'm going to call it Definers because mm. I was looking through an old notebook and um, I've sent you the pictures of the, the, the six pages in question that um, I found in this. Well, it's eight pages, actually. We were in a pub and I'm trying to guess when this was. And I'll share the pictures of uh, what I'm talking about on on the Recollective Podcast Instagram account. Um, <laughs> but for those of you who remember Q Magazine, uh, it used to be a very popular pastime, usually amongst older adults than us, to do top fives, top tens, lists. I think, um, who's that author who was popular in the, the 90s and 2000s? Um, oh, Nick Hornby. Nick Hornby popularised, you know, the, the list format in... Yeah. High Fidelity. Fidelity. Yeah. So basically, we are now older than Nick Hornby's character in High Fidelity, significantly. So we're allowed to make lists all day long. But these lists were created in, I think, around 2001. Um, So without giving too many of the um, the, who who appears in the lists away, uh, each of us have a top 10 bands. And we, in no particular order, list our top 10 bands. We then have our top five solo artists. Um, we list our top 10 albums, uh, our top 10 songs. And then on the final page, we have defining songs. And there's a song and there's a little explanation in each of our cases about what that song reminds us of. My wife asked us what we were doing our podcast on uh, this evening. And I said, uh, you know, it's, you know, songs that defined us from when we were 21 or whatever it was. Uh, and she's like, what memories did you manage to achieve by then? Um, <laughs> well, quite a lot of musical. I mean, if you think about all of the teenage years in university, it's interesting looking at these lists because I think maybe the... I would stand by a fair bit of the, you know, best artists and albums, which I still think I would, quite a few of them would be in my top 10. The Defining Moments is a really interesting one because we call it, interestingly, my bit says Defining Moments, your bit says Defining Songs. Uh, looking at that, I was slightly embarrassed by some of those songs, thinking, really, is this is this defining of somehow me or my life? But I, I understand why I put them there. Um, and and we're, we're staying faithful to these lists today in, in, in not putting anything, not playing anything that wasn't on them. Because this was really about like moments that are extremely vivid and they're not necessarily vivid because they were musically revelatory or musically excellent, but they, they somehow shaped us. Um, do you know what I mean? Like it, it, yeah. they're, they're reminders of particular times or places or people. 
So what I'm going to suggest is we'll we'll slowly reveal our defining moments slash songs over the course of the episode. But maybe after um, one or two of the songs, we'll we'll do interludes where we look at our top ten singles, our top five solo artists, our top ten bands, um, and try and see which of those still remain true and which were abhorrent, disastrous choices that we regret. Um, so I'm going to kick us off with my first choice. In fact, I recall, I think, looking at my defining songs, they weren't as much related to particular moments in time as yours seem to be. Um, they were more about songs I discovered that got me into music. And I right, think so three of them... Interesting. Yeah, no, just to say that's interesting because I noticed literally just now looking back at that notebook that it says defining songs, Beale, and then it says defining moments, Goodfellow. <laughs> and I don't know if that's deliberate, but it seems that that was something in our head, uh, consciously or subconsciously, we were doing something slightly different. Well, I think when I met you in 1996, it's fair to say that you'd lived more of a life. Um, I think potentially a I'm, life... I'm been... a month younger than you. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think having gone to boarding school, you you leave you leave quite a closeted existence, routine based, and you know I I dived into books and movies and and music, but I hadn't been on school buses or out to gigs or on holiday <laughs> to France or you know um, or, or yeah, whatever it is. I, I feel crazy, like crazy youth. I lived on a school bus. To yeah. Hertfordshire and occasionally holidaying in France, <laughs> but maybe maybe that was quite exotic to her. No, I'm South not saying Africa. you were like Flea and Anthony Kiedis jumping <laughs> off um, LA houses into swimming pools and skipping school and doing drugs under bridges. But you'd, you you know it felt like you'd you'd had more of a a kind of free and open childhood. That um, or maybe that's just the way I well, perceived we'll it. Because um, the three of mine remind me of being in a what were called studies in our in our houses at boarding school so um so the way it worked was when you were in your early years at nine o'clock between nine and nine thirty there'd be a kind of period where you get your your you know your beds all made up and your shoes polished and then your a prefect would come and inspect whether you'd turn Spank down your you. bed properly no 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 spanking thankfully avoided that era uh lots of punching but not of not so much spanking um Check that you've got your hospital corners done on your on your bed. That your, your shoes are polished for the morning, and then you'd uh, you'd have lights out at nine thirty. Once you reached the kind of third or fourth year, you had the privilege then, after lights out, to go back to your study and stay up later than the rest of the house. And um, that's when I would don my Walkman headphones and listen to albums. And the first album. Well, that comes to mind from that time was Bob Dylan's Desire, which I still think is an excellent album. Um, and the yeah. track I'm going to play from that is called One More Cup of Coffee.
songs off this uh one in particular that i'm reserving to play on our story songs podcast when that comes along um this is a story song as well it's about the tale of a, a girl whose family are gypsies and drifters and um of the man who has to leave to enter the valley below it's a kind of like classic dylan narration and um what i like about it is there's this great lazy drum sound uh, it's got these cool backing vocals um, by Emmy Lou Harris, who's um, someone I've since discovered in 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 my newfound appreciation of country music, and um, and also this this kind of plaintive violin that runs through it. It's a, it's a great song. I'm, I'm so glad you played it because actually that could this song even though I don't listen to it often and I've never really listened to the lyrics properly could have made it onto my list of defining songs um, no and I'll tell, I'll tell you why because um, a friend of the a friend of the family a friend of my sister's particularly um, who I shan't embarrass by naming her uh, once came over to our house and I was learning to play guitar and I must have been like 13 or something and this so she was old you know my sister's age so she was 15, 16 I don't know and um and she bought this tape and she was like, I want to play this song. She played violin. And we spent a whole afternoon working out how to play it. So I, I was, I'd never heard the song. I figured out how to play the chords. We put the tape on and we just played it. And we actually recorded ourselves. I've, I don't know where the tape is, but it was really vivid because it was like, I had never played in a band. I had this, you know, older girl who was my sister's friend come in and want to and want to jam with me in my bedroom, essentially. Mm. Uh, and it was very, very vivid. And so whenever I hear that song, that's what I think of. Um, did you do the, the the double vocal as well and the harmonies? I don't think we did any singing. I think she just wanted to play the violin parts and I just played along. Um, 
but yeah, it's great. And I know what you mean about the, the drum sound, the, the rim shot, and it's, oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's great. And it's one of those ones that that kind of does showcase his voice quite nicely. Um, yeah. So, yeah, not not a hundred percent on the Dylan train, but uh, this this album I really love. Yeah, uh, I think your songs are much cooler than mine as well. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I, if, if I had chosen that song, it would have been, again, been the first one. So I'm glad he played it early because I, I'm thinking what was so exciting for me about hearing that song. There's, there's a few moments, you know, when particularly when you're starting to play music. You know, I probably only knew how to play about four chords and you can play four chords and play a song like that. Um, but also it was just, you know, to hear something that good that you'd never heard before mm. was very, very cool. So I, I don't know where this was chronologically um, in relation to my experience with one more cup of coffee, having just hijacked your song there. Um, but uh, when I was at school, so when I learned guitar, I was probably already at the Rudolf Steiner school. I went to Rudolf Steiner school, which is a hippie sort of school for those of you who don't know about it based on the philosophy of an Austrian guy called Rudolf Steiner. And there are a few of these schools in the UK. I think I was 11 or 12 when I started going there. And I learned guitar around the same time. And I learned guitar, anyway, uh, even before maybe I'd learned, uh, there were a lot of people on my school bus that you already alluded to. I used to have <laughs> this, to spend yeah. an hour every day going from Chalk Farm uh, through North London to Hertfordshire, Kings Langley, where this school was. And um, on that bus, there were a lot of quite cool people who listened to a lot of bands I'd never heard of and even went to indie clubs and stuff, even though they were like 13 years old. And this was a band that everybody was listening to. So it's 1991. This record would be playing on the bus, if you could persuade the bus driver guy to play it. And um, it was just a bit like, you have to listen to this band if you're at the school. Mm. <laughs> it was like the school band. And of course, they were quite a famous band. They became more famous later. The band is The Levelers. And um, the first, I would say, the, yeah, the first band I ever went to see was The Levelers, several times. I did go and see Sting before that. Um, but, you know, it's not really a band. And it was, you know, I got swept up in it and we just, just became a massive Levelers fan because it was just what you did when you were at Rudolf Steiner School Kings Langley at that time. <laughs> so this, was a, this is one of the hits off that album, which came out in 1991, an album called Leveling the Land. It's a fairly big indie hit. Um, and yeah, I just thought I had to include it. There's only one
I'd forgotten about this really baggy bit in the middle. I think we get the idea there. Interesting that they only really felt the need to do one verse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and also interesting that our first two defining songs have in, in, involved impressive use of the fiddle. Um, the fiddle? Oh, there is another verse. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm playing this song because it was on the list that we made 20 years ago, obviously. So I didn't give a moment's thought about, you know, which level of song would I play or whatever. But. No, you made your decision 20 years ago. I made my decision 20 years ago. No, no, I'm very happy with it. Other great thing about that song is uh, piss easy to play on the guitar. So as well as the defining moments on the school bus or in the Brixton Academy, and I can tell you, going to see the Levelers on a pretty much annual basis at the Brixton Academy in the early 90s was was great. (laughs) But um, I also have many associations of sitting on Primrose Hill and playing it on an acoustic guitar. Mm. Um, And... Even though I'm not, I don't want to give too much attention to the uh, lyrical or musical qualities of the song itself. I think, you know, I'd just gone from a state school where I was a bit bullied, where I was not very happy, didn't really have friends, and gone to this Steiner school where all the focus is on kind of individuality and people were, you know, there were a lot of very quirky people doing all kinds of stuff. And... It was a massive eye-opener in many ways, and it was all quite kind of alternative. So I guess the message of the song, you know, also is part of the part of the reason it's on there, perhaps. Yeah, I'm sure it does, and I'm sure it feeds into that story. But it, you aside, it's still quite a teenage-friendly lyric. Um, in, oh, yeah. In, 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 in the sense that that message goes, will, will be quite well-received universally across that age group. Yeah. Um, Tell yeah. me about the Levelers. They, they they seem like a bit of like a folk hoedown farm band. If <laughs> I, I know nothing yeah. about them, I, I, do you know what? I mean, it seems very strange to say this, and my good friend Simon will probably berate me for this. But I I don't really know. I don't really feel I know very much about them either. Uh, and maybe I once did, and we talked about them incessantly, and we knew all the individual members and took the piss out of them for their various characteristics and their, you know, appearances and things they did on stage. And so it's a bit weird to say I don't know much about them, but I don't really know their origin. They have a long-standing association with Brighton. So they're kind of scummy. They were very much associated with the the crusty, uh, you know, people who were called crusties, which is some, I don't know if it's some remnant. It's not, not exactly a remnant of the hippie movement, but it's somewhere between... You know, is it the kind, kind of, of people who used to um, camp out at the Newbury Bypass? Very, um, very much. And <laughs> and have kind of dreadlocks and... Yeah, absolutely. So there's clothing. somewhere somewhere between, um, envir- you know, kind of environmentalism, drugs, um, <laughs> you know, uh, leftist politics generally, obviously referencing back to, to, to the levellers. And, and I think they, and they, they would hang out in Brighton uh, they became, they kind of had some more big hits 
later in the 90s. And they're still at it. I mean, they're still going. But, yeah, I mean, for me, it was just about the, the particular time of hearing yeah. this kind of song and this kind I, of band. I definitely missed them. But by the time I got to know you and Simon, I think you'd moved on slightly in your musical tastes because you'd got to the point of taking the slight piss out of the levelers. Um, oh, yeah. But it was obviously much more important to you slightly younger in your life. Yeah, I mean, it, it was just very much of that of that time. And, and yeah, I, th- I think... Um, we always took the piss out of them on one level. I think on one level, I always knew they weren't necessarily the greatest band because I was already discovering, you know, the the full later works of the Beatles and you know all this kind of stuff and uh, mm. bands like the Police. But interesting thing I got from that listen was that, as you say, that that middle bit, which was quite baggy, reminded me of the Stone Roses, and it yeah. also reminded me that it was it was allowed to really really use the wah wah pedal quite a lot uh, in the nineties. In a way that yeah. it probably wasn't. Oh, it was all about it. Yeah. yeah. And that's just pure Stone Roses kind of ripoff, isn't it? And I didn't, that's just a thing. I didn't know the Stone Roses. Mm. I'd, I'd seen the Happy Mondays and the Inspiral Carpets and those baggy groups on top of the pots and gone, you know, what's this? You know, when I was still listening to like bubblegum pop music that my sister was into, and I wouldn't dream of listening to a band. And then I went to this school where it was like all these alternative people and they're listening to this band. And I remember this girl on the school bus, a particular classmate who was, very much into the levelers now she was like yeah i've got their early album you know their early stuff from before they were in and i was like <laughs> in they're not in and she was like well you know in with the outs and there was this idea that they were in with in with the outs uh anyway that's enough that's about all i know about the levelers okay brief interlude before i play my next song um back in and i think i'm i'm gonna date this list as 2001 you listed your top 10 bands now without looking can you name what they are or shall I tell you? Well, no, it's cheating a bit because I no, I glanced at it just before we started, but I did only glance. Um, <laughs> and I clearly didn't glance very well because I can't. Okay, it would have to include the Stones. Yes. Probably the Beatles. Yeah. To be fair, Radiohead. Yeah. Pearl Jam. Yeah. I probably would have put Nirvana on there. You didn't. Okay. No, no that. that, that Silly me um, uh, for, for getting that wrong. But um, Smashing Pumpkins? Yes, you did. Would have been on there. Uh, how many have I got so far? You've got five of the ten. Oh, that's not very many. Okay, so the would I put the police on, on there? It is a ten. One second. You did put the police on there. So one, two, three. You've done six. I would have put Blur on there. You did. Um, so 70%. You've got three left. I don't think I would have put the levelers on there. Uh, yeah. Would I have put... Okay, let's think about this. Would I put like the strokes on there? Were you at that point? You did. You did Very put good. the strokes. So that's yeah. recency bias at play there, I think. I don't know. Would they still be on? I don't know. I don't know. There might be. I'd have to think about that. Well, I wouldn't have put the Libertines on there. Maybe it's before. No, that. it's pre-Libertines. Interesting. Easy to date. Um, so that's eight, is it? Yeah. Am I allowed to do this for you in a minute, or have you just looked at it? Um, hang on, if you've got them, sorry. I've got I've, them. I've, okay, I've got that's fine. You do it for me. I've, okay, so I've looked at the top one, um, so I know I've got one out of one. But are you not going to tell me? I, I won't remember the others. I can tell you what the other two are. No, hang on, wait, are. wait, give me a moment. I probably would have put some on there that maybe I thought were cool, but I clearly aren't that high on my list, otherwise I would remember them now. Unless well, I'm one, forgetting. One is not cool, and one is Britpop. I wouldn't have put Oasis on, would I? No. Would I put on uh, Pulp? 
Yes. Oh, that's Put interesting. And then one of them is the least cool. Um, well, it's quite mainstream. I wouldn't say it's cool. It's good, but it's not cool. Mainstream. Oh, you too. Yes. There you go. Well, I got 10 out of 10 with a bit of nudging. Yeah. Okay. So um, I'm happy to undergo the same test, but do you want to do that after the song or? Um... No, I, I, yeah, all right. We'll do it after your song. No, you're going to look. I don't trust you. We're going to do it now. Okay, do it now. Fine. I'm not looking. <laughs> Um, okay, I'm not going to look at any of the other lists in case we do the same thing again. Um, Charlie B, Charlie B, Charlie B, band. Stop saying bands. Stop saying bands. I want to work for Q. Um, wait a minute. Wait, I, I can't find them. I can only find artists and solo albums. Help. Okay, here we are. Go. So I know from the top of the list it was The Cure. Correct. I then probably put The Rolling Stones. You did. I think I might have embarrassingly put the doors. You did. Is that um, but yeah, it's it wouldn't be on my list today. Let's yeah. put it that way. Um, bands. Uh, okay, I think it probably had the Strokes as well. Correct. I think I probably avoided doing the Beatles because I thought uh, that I just I either didn't Correct. know enough or uh, yeah. So um, I think. Did I did I put the Whalers in, or would I? I would have definitely put Bob Marley in at some point, but maybe he he falls into the solo category. Yeah, he's not on there. The Whalers aren't on there. Um, it's Pumpkins. They're on there. Yeah, that's fine. Depeche Mode. Yep, good. Um, did I put you two? I, I don't think I would have. Nope. Uh, did I put Nirvana? Nope. Yeah, no, uh, that wouldn't have been accurate. Nirvana. Uh, I'm running out of I'm running out of inspiration now. I need clues. So you've done the Cure, Depeche Mode, the Doors, the Stones, the Pumpkins, and the Strokes, and the Strokes. So sorry, that's seven. Okay, so I'll give you a clue. There's some crossover with mine that you've not explored. Um, Radiohead. Yes. Uh, and then. The police. Bit... No. Oh. There's more crossover with mine. And Pearl Jam. A... Yes. And then there's two bands that, I, in a way, I can't believe aren't on mine, and you'll kick yourself that you haven't guessed them. Okay. Does that mean they're classics? Yeah. Unless I've missed you say them. Two classics of, I'm going to give you a clue. Yes, the please. 1980s mostly did i put the pet shop boys no that would have been <laughs> did Quite i put banana rama <laughs> no swing out sister no no so one is going to be the pixies correct okay good uh and the other i don't oh i've just sorry you've just looked Mike. at it, <laughs> I just looked at it. <laughs> the audience can't see charlie Spencer. oh he says clearly looking at his notebook i've just realized it's the smiths yes. yeah my list is cooler than you the smiths all your Although, them, you know, have they been cancelled? Have they been cancelled, the Smiths? What, because Morrissey's a twat? We probably need to do a separate episode on this, so we'll leave that Why would they be cancelled until then. Okay, yeah, because yeah, yeah. of Morrissey. Oh, because of Morrissey. Yeah, I kind of try and separate them in my mind from Morrissey, even though that's ridiculous. I don't, I don't think... I'm quite... I'm fine with my list. I'm totally fine. They're both good lists. In fact, there's a lot of overlap. Yeah. It's your it's um, your defining songs, which we must get back to. Those are what's called of the my, my list. Um, 
Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves because my next choice is a very wacky and weird song, and I'm not sure it, it would definitely not have made a list of best songs, but it, it, it's there because it's got a defining memory. So the band in question we've seen live, and uh, the song is, I think it's a bit like um, The Wanderer on Zeropa. It comes at the end of the album, and it's weird, and it's a bit out of place. Um, so my friends, uh, at, again, at Hilson College in South Africa, and I, the Violent Femmes is the band, and their their eponymous debut album is full of really good songs. And then there's another one called American Music that comes off an album called Why Do, Why Do the Birds Sing or, or something like that. Um, and they released a song in, I think, 1994. Sorry, not a song, an album called New Times. Um, and... There's a cool song off that called Breaking Up. But at the end, there's this really weird song. Um, and I'm going to play it. And I'm going to play it all the way through without talking over it. Because it's a song in many parts. And it's odd. But I'd be interested to get your thoughts on it. Because I'm not sure if we have listened to it together. It's called Jesus of Rio. Christ the Get what I wanted. 
What do you think? Wow. Well, two things. <laughs> One, I was moved while listening to that song to open a bottle of beer with my teeth for the first time since about 2001 because uh, <laughs> I really needed it. No, uh, I wish I'd known that song when I went to Christ the Redeemer at Rio about 10 years ago because the contrast between the sort of ridiculousness <laughs> of it on the grandia. Uh, I'm very interested to know how this how this comes to be on your list. So, I mean, it's only it's only a personal memory, but um, because it was such a bizarre song and it's got lots of different bits and because we listened to it a lot together, um, like my friends Anthony Collins and Simon Kluko and a few of the others uh, in my boarding house used to love listening to New Times. And um, we had a, a school... No, not a school disco. It was a house disco at one point where um, our house had a, a kind of a party down in the kind of common room, games room area. And a few girls were bussed in from local schools and we had a party and there was a DJ. And um, um, I um, I managed to kiss a girl and um, was feeling very pleased with myself at the end of the night. And as we were clearing up and everyone had gone back, my my friends, um, Anthony, Simon, Simon and I, I remember um, almost like shirtless football fans singing that song um, uh, while we were cleaning up um, and, and it was playing over the, the PA system in a kind of boorish, Christ the Redeemer kind of way, um, which which seems like a really incongruous, me- you know, um, melody to, to to treat in that way, particularly the kind of uh, really in-depth weird stuff around structural adjustment and debt in the World Bank <laughs> and, and, and uh, you know, the climate change conference. and But it's just such a bizarre song that but it seemed to kind of make sense in a kind of boorish lads um type of way that i remember just feeling quite happy and feeling like we were belting out some kind of uh, chant that no one else in the world knew it was a, it was a funny uh, and weird evening i'd say quite possibly you were <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, Violent Femmes obviously a great, a great band, but um, that that's surely is a bit of an obscurity, right? I mean, it wasn't a oh, it's a massively a... obscure song. I don't so... think even the album New Times is amongst their be- better performing albums. Um, yeah, I would that... urge listeners who are not familiar with the Violent Femmes to go and listen to the the eponymous album. There's about five or six Stone Cold Killers on that. Absolutely, you introduced me to that band, and then as you said, we saw them live. Um, so you did, you know, you obviously did have a bunch of bands that you that came to, that you got in South Africa. That I guess well, I don't know if it was just you, but like they they travelled well to that context, and you got really into them. That weren't necessarily maybe amid all the noise of Britpop and post grunge, they just didn't register in the same way. Yeah, and I put <clears throat> I put Depeche Mode in that category because Depeche Mode were massive in South Africa, um, and when when I came over. They weren't the kind of band that every kid had heard of. Maybe some some had, and I was like, "But they're English." Oh yeah, I mean, I I think you would. I would have heard of them, but I would have put. I mean, I I had heard of them, but I put them in a category of something from the eighties that was not really. I think they weren't necessarily. Um, no, I mean, loads of people must have got into the. You know, their their um, what's that album from the nineties? You know, with the massive hits on. Um, oh yes, violated um, all of that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Violated. That was there, but there was just so much else going on as well that was from the UK that it was. I don't think I realised they were necessarily British even. 
But no, I'm, that that's an eye opener. That's just the kind of song that's meant to be on this list. We should remind listeners it's not about the um, the best songs. Um, <laughs> I say that partly with a view to some of my later choices, but uh, but really, yeah, songs where you can just say that means something to me for this reason. I think there's also something I like around songs that so that's a waltz. But it's, yeah. you can imagine it being sung in a beer hall or in a in a music hall or some. There's something of that tradition, that circus music hall type thing. And there's another song on my list that that harks back to that kind of not era, but that tradition that um, that draws me in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And now you've painted a nice picture for us of you having a kissed a girl um, who was bussed in from somewhere. Uh, <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, she came on a bus, just very much like you on your school bus. All yeah, these people are. living their interesting lives on buses. I know, you see. Actually, they were quite parallel. I just realised that I, I tried to Google the song Jesus of Rio to find a bit more about it, like why they wrote it. And I, I had just stopped after Jesus. So I've ended up on the Wikipedia page for Jesus. <laughs> it must be an extensive one. Does it have many books? And I've not looked at it before. It's quite a lot. Lots of pictures. Yeah. Anyway, um, Good. So I, I'm I, your next choice. I know, but tell us tell us about it because it, it is in my list of yeah. very very fun, lovely songs. This is probably the the, the, the coolest my my list gets. But um, so I this is another band that I discovered basically on the school bus. I mean, perhaps this is just my school bus list. I did spend two hours a bloody day on that bus, um, and. I remember the cool kids who had Bleach and were listening to the first Nirvana album, some of whom are younger than me. This is in like 91. And then there were the ones above who were like a bit older who listened to the Pixies. Uh, and so they they knew about bands in the late 80s when I was I was literally, you know, listening to Jason Donovan with my sister or whatever. You know, I just didn't know about bands in 1989 or 1990. And so hearing these songs, I, I don't think I ever heard this song until I was in the house of my friend Maya, who, uh, who 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 was my bandmate in my first ever band. She played guitar. She taught me how to play uh, "Knock It on Heaven's Door," all three chords of it. Um, when I was literally just learning the basics, and then we formed a band and we decided to do a gig in a scout hut in Abbots Langley <laughs> in Hertfordshire, where she lived, and uh, we played covers mostly. And this was one of the songs we played, and I. I literally remember, I just I hear the beginning of it and it's just vivid. I'm kind of there in her room hearing this song for the first time. And she's like, you do this, uh, you play these chords and I'll do the lead part. And we sat there working through it, working out how to play it. And so that's, for me, it's very significant. You know, it's my entry point into, into being in a band. So I, that's why it's on here rather than being a great band and a great song, which it is. Stop.
So were you the singer in this uh, 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 Scout Hut rendition of Where's My Mind? Do you know what? That's <laughs> funny you should say that because you just reminded me. I hadn't thought about this. I literally just did the bits that go, where is my mind? I just did, where is my mind? Where is my mind? And my did the verses because I couldn't get that high. And anyway, she was she was running the show at that point. And um, But it's one of those things where I just remember vividly sitting down and trying to work out the lyrics. I was swimming in the Caribbean. Animals were hiding behind the rock. Like, what the... What? What? <laughs> like, um, and we went through and we worked it all out. And yeah, I just, I think I played the chords. She played the lead part. She sang the verse. Did she do the, the ooh, chords. BVs? Yeah, in yeah. The chorus. And yeah. actually, to the, to, to the point where when I hear this song and I hear the like, ah, at the beginning, I, I sort of believe in my head it's Maya <laughs> singing that. And when I hear the strumming, I feel like we're in her bedroom. It's very vivid. I think partly because she actually does the giggling at the beginning of the, that Divine Comedy song. So I get a bit confused in my head. Um, anyway, Maya does but, the giggling at the beginning of what, yeah, Generation you, Sex we, or No, no, uh, so, or? something at the weekend, something for the weekend. If we ever okay. listen, Maya and Alice, Alice Reynolds, Jack Reynolds' sister, are the two people giggling. If you listen to it, you'll you'll probably recognise her voice. Um, Maya's got a distinctive giggle. But yeah, so she, so her brother, so Maya was a year below me, but her brother was like three years above me. He was in the same class as Jack and Tim of Chocasta. And he obviously was the source of the Pixies knowledge. Um, mm. Yeah, so very, very foundational, actually, that number. that That's maybe if, if it had to be one in a Desert Island Disc style that is defining in a certain way, maybe that's it. It's such a good song. I'm trying to work out why. There's the, the there's stuff we talk about um, already in the Quiet Loud episode around Steve Albini's production and the drum sound and uh, the, the weird way they're recorded. But there's something also about that guitar line and how it interacts with the bass because it's it's a bit like in the Johnny Cash song where you've got that kind of plink, plink, plink where it stays on one note, but that second note of the do dee 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 note with whatever the is the bass ascending or descending um both it's very satisfying it's so simple (laughs) it's uh and yeah it's listening to it then as well towards the end it almost seemed to me to be slightly speeding up and slowing down like you know at, at at points and just that looseness about it that steve albini captures so well but then kind of i don't know just thoroughly compelling listen isn't it so we've had four songs two each um i think it's time that we play the guessing game again um yeah this time tom do you want me to go first or shall i or, or do you want to take the pleasure of uh, doing your guess for no, who are your you top can, five solo artists you can go first um i mean I, i'll guess first because if i look at this picture on that you've sent me on the phone i'll, I'll see mine um Solo artist five. Mm-hmm. Well, I did look at this a while, but I know that I put Nina Simone on there. Yes. Um, and I, yeah, I had I had a big Nina Simone phase. I would say. I mean, I still think she's great, but I think I was kind of very in that at that time. And I went to see her. You saw friend, her with Helen Trotter. Yeah, yeah, a mutual friend, Helen Trotter, bought bought me a ticket to see Nina Simone on I think it was my twenty first birthday. Um. So which was pretty cool, right? And she a good gift, yeah. died shortly after. And we went into the dressing room and she was there. She signed my program and she was literally sitting on this chair. She's like a larger than life person, right? She's quite sort of big. And she was just smoking a fag and just signing people's programs. Like, but like, 
just looking really kind of grumpy and not speaking. And it was just classic Nina Simone. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so who else would be on there? One out of five. It's amazing to think that I have looked at this relatively recently. Bowie? Yeah. Um, Prince is on there. Yes, yes. I'm putting myself in this time. Is Snoop Dogg on there? No. Uh, although I'll give you a clue for a later break. He doesn't make an appearance in your best albums. Yeah, I knew he was there somewhere. Um, okay. Artists. Um, so I've got three. The, one of them surprises me because it would be nailed on in my list. And I'm not sure why it's in yours in 2001, unless I've done enough by the points of 2001 to... Uh, showcase his work I, I think it's part not elton no but it is the next it's, it's the next artist i'm playing uh tonight no, don't, you'll give that away and Maybe. we have played it we have played him in the oh marley bob marley yes yes yeah i think i think one you had done a lot of work around bob marley by that time definitely because that all through university did that and this if this is from 2001 this is after university so I'd, mm. i was fully turned on to Bob Marley and the Whalers, uh, having also, you know, we went to see them and everything without Bob, obviously. But also, I think I didn't really listen to a lot of solo artists. Like now, I, but you know, partly the changing times, I find I listen to a lot of individual singer-songwriters. But then I probably didn't have that large a pool of people to choose from. Not that I'm dissing Bob, but that. So that's four. Um... So the other artist is a, a contemporary of... No, no, it's 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 a bloke, and we've played him on a couple of episodes, and he's also going to be played later tonight on one of my choices. Um, and it's not Bob Marley. I'm playing Bob and, uh, and this, this, other this character, this character. This, this... <laughs> <laughs> um, um, <okay. laughs> hang on a minute, hang on a minute. I can't be able to. It's not very interesting listening, is it? Okay, um, don't know. It's Beck. Back, of course it is. Yeah. Mm. So I would warrant that we actually have quite a decent crossover in our solo artists. I'm willing to bet that Bowie, Bob Marley, and Beck appear in my list of top five solo if artists. If they don't, something is going wrong. Yeah. I probably, I don't think I would have chosen Nina Simone or Prince. Um, I chose the Smiths for band, so I wouldn't have chosen Morrissey. Good job. Um. <laughs> Oh, did I choose Elton John? No, which which I think is a lie. I mean, you are Elton John. I mean, not literally, but... <laughs> <laughs> no, but, but Elton's not on there. There is someone who's on there and then crossed out, but we'll talk about that later. It's not Elton. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I give them to me because I think... I think at this point I wasn't as musically knowledgeable. I, I go as deep I mean, on the things I liked, but I didn't have a broad range of knowledge yeah it's the same here i think it's just a solo artist one would just kind of dive back to the greats from the past because it's just not what was going on in the in the in the in the 90s or the 2000s now i think about it is it that's not where it was at if you're particularly if you're into guitar music but um so one of them which i i'm not fully convinced about is hendrix 
No, no, maybe you were mm. listening to, into Hendrix. And the other one is Lou Reed, which also... I'm, I'm, I'm not uh, convinced with either of those. No, I'm not fully convinced in terms of... I think, I think I may have either been stumped for ideas or I was being pretentious. Yeah, um, I mean... And, sim- and both are plausible explanations. Yeah, it's quite interesting looking at the list in that way. Similarly with Bob Marley, it's not, it's, it's, it's not so convincing in the sense that I just kind of got that. I mean, I knew about Bob Marley from it, but I probably wouldn't have. You, you reinvigorated my interest in Bob Marley. And Prince, and to be fair, Prince is quite foundational in, in certain ways. Um, I was really into like Diamonds and Pearls and stuff in the 90s. Not that song, but the album. Anyway, interesting. Interesting. So on that theme, actually, the next choice I've, I've got on my list of kind of definers from that period is from Bob Marley. But if I'm honest with myself, I think I wouldn't have chosen this if I'd done the list again. Even with my knowledge of the songs I knew at that period of time, I think that what this choice was informed by some music journalism and some article that I wrote that this was one, you know, one of his classic numbers, and I knew it. But it wasn't, in retrospect, one of the classic ones to me. Um, it's called Johnny Was, and it's off um, Rastaman Vibration. Uh, which is a good album, but it was it was not in my top three. I don't think um, I know it at all. Yeah, it's uh, it's from 1976. So if you put that in Bob Marley's canon, it's towards well, it's kind of towards the, so the, the, the Bob Marley is active from 65 through to his death in 81. So this is 76, but he does better stuff afterwards in survival which is my fave in 1979 and then um uprising in 1980 and then confrontation um is is released posthumous posthumously um anyhow this is johnny was and it is a beautiful song it's credited this interestingly to rita marley um, and there's a whole question about whether she wrote the lyrics, but I think that's nonsense because um, Bob Marley did this thing where he gave credits to songs to to like friends and people as a way instead of paying them or really um, uh, well yeah because there was this guy from his childhood um, what was his name uh, but he basically uh, Vincent Ford I think his name is and Vincent Ford is credited as having written No Woman No Cry. But I, it, that was essentially a, a, basically a gift. Bob Marley gifted Vincent Ford some Hang royalties. on a minute. Does he get the royalties for that? Yeah. That's not yeah, yeah. a small gift. <laughs> That's like, wow. Yeah. Um, anyway, so Rita gets all the royalties from Johnny Was.
Pretentious choices. I do love the song, but I don't have a, a defining memory of you know, what I was doing or uh, what happened at the time of listening to it. Um, I would have probably chosen something off Survival had I known we were going to ro- record a podcast 20 years after writing this list. Um, but nevertheless, it's it's a very good song and it, it feeds nicely from uh, Where Is My Mind because it's kind of made a bit by those backing vocals and also by the keyboards yeah it's a lovely song i really enjoy listening to it i don't i don't think i've ever heard it really uh so i don't really mind why, why you chose it uh <laughs> but it's uh it's nice you know I, I having put bob marley on my list i mean it's a i, I never knew the albums of bob marley in, individually anything beyond the big hits really and then you started to get me into some of the albums and i sporadically bought a few but never heard that and um there's a richness to it you know that I guess comes with his later work, and right. yeah, this this one in particular, uh, R- Rastaman Vibration, I think is quite focused on kind of like the community, political, and cultural fragmentation in Jamaica, and, and particularly Shantytown, Jamaica. Um, whereas I think some of his later work starts looking at the kind of uh, you know uh, that that whole kind of. African nationalism, Zionism, Ethiopian-focused type of uh, outlook that he then went on and, and and wrote lots of songs about. Yeah. Oh, so that's, that's actually quite an early one. So this is seventy six. <clears throat> so it's the album they did before Exodus, and Exodus was the one oh, that okay. won him like really mainstream popularity in um, yeah. in the UK because Exodus was a dance floor crossover. Um, 
and then Kaya was big and Survival was big and Uprising and then okay um yeah so it's kind of mid-period I guess yeah yeah no it's nice so so you think you read something about it that just kind of Made you I think in, in 2001, where you would have put that on your list in 2001, what was the um, the... Well, I mean, we did write these lists in a pub, so like, I'm I can't be held at gunpoint to all of these oh, choices. No, no. no, it's a great choice, uh, but it doesn't, it doesn't, I think it, it's the kind of thing where I might have read an, an article in Q magazine or in The Enemy that that that's by some journalist who had proclaimed Johnny was was uh, his finest storytelling moment. And then in, you know, in us then writing this list, I chose that song. Whereas I probably would have chosen a different one from him if I'd had my time again. <laughs> well, I'm sure you knew a lot more about him than, than that Q journalist, whoever it was. Um, <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, great. Nice, nice song. Uh, I think possibly a better song than the one I'm about to play. Um do you want to say anything more about it? No. Okay. I, I don't know. No, move, to... move on and embarrass yourself, Tom. No, no, I, it's fine. It's, 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 I, in the spirit of this episode, I, there's, there's no embarrassment. But I'm, I'm just trying to think of a segue. There really isn't one. <laughs> Other than being at school, maybe. I don't know. There may be uh, a segue in bringing, bringing forth the voices of communities that have been hitherto unheard. <laughs> Probably, yes. Uh, so, I, I mean, I don't know anything about this song. It, it obviously in, involves a sample from some community that was probably hitherto unheard in much of the world. But that has nothing to do with um, why it's on my list. Uh, the reason it's on my list is because... So there was obviously a mid... Like a mid and parallel to um, contemporary with all the indie music that we t- talked about on occasion, particularly early... Britpop uh, and mid Britpop kind of ambient music and sort of popularized world music. And I was exposed to certain dimensions of this, both by being at a Rudolf Steiner school with sort of various alternative minded people from quite alternative families often, and also by living in Camden. <laughs> um, <laughs> and this song, so this song. I just remember it being around a lot at the time. And obviously, mostly at this time, I was listening to guitar bands. You know, I was probably listening to the Levelers and probably already to Pearl Jam and some other grunge stuff and whatever. But I have a fondness for certain kinds of memories associated with this kind of music. I can't quite explain it. There's a particular incident which I think I wrote down in the notebook next to this entry that says something about camping which was... it says Hertfordshire camping 94 okay so there you are I was going to ask about the year so I had a girlfriend who was a year older than me and she turned I think she must have been turning 17 then or 16 or 17 and she for her birthday we all went camping in a field in Hertfordshire so like everyone like the whole class from school um, random other people from school random friends she had a party that was camping in a field because we knew somebody who had access to a field or something. And it was just like a great wild party in a field. And I remember this song being played, but I also remember like it was a place in Camden called the ambient, which was basically like a a place that sold no alcohol, but you like herbal highs. 
uh, and you'd go in there and you'd sit in there. It was in Camden Lock and we used to, and it was free to go in. We used to go there all the time and they'd play this kind of music. Anyway, so it, it, it was a happy time for me. I think I was kind of discovering a lot of things. And this so song you're really... saying, hang on, I, I came over, you know, from my boarding school. You'd been riding the bus, first of yeah. all, man, man of the world. Daily. You're sitting there in your tie-dyed T-shirts. Yeah. S- smelling the incense that that's coming off Camden Lock, listening yeah. to world music. This is the kind occasionally, of occasionally. Yeah. I wasn't. I wouldn't have purchased this kind of music, um, <laughs> but it was. It was around, and I wasn't wearing tie dye. I was wearing those kind of cheesecloth things, and they're like stripy things with the little <laughs> faux Tibetan bell type buttons on them, and you know that kind of stuff, and. Uh, yeah, and, and then there would be like a free place in Camden where you'd like waft through some kind of strange sheets and find yourself in a room that was like, the room might have been tie-dyed and someone was selling hash cake and I don't know. It was, it just, some crystals it was a, maybe. It was an innocent, happy time. Yeah, there were people offering you crystals. A woman would come up and offer you trips in the, the train station at Camden Town. And um, this kind of stuff would be playing in the background. So this is Deep Forest. Um What's it called? I don't even know what it's called. Sweet Lullaby. I mean, the, the, I, I was going to say, the melody is a beautiful melody. Yeah. So, in my research, I, this is a lullaby named Roroguela, and it's sung by a lady called um, Afunakwa. Afunakwa. <laughs> and she's from the, a, a northern Mayalita woman from the Solomon Islands, which is kind of near Papua New Guinea, so Pacific, just northeast of Australia. Yeah, it's not something I was really aware of or thinking about when I was in the ambient <laughs> or whatever. Off your face, mate, on hashcakes. <laughs> no, no, actually, I wasn't, to be honest. But um, yeah, it, it, 
it, it, it is, it is a, a nice melody and it, it, it's very evocative to me. Of, of, you know, that, I guess a lot of people were doing that, you know, this, there were people would sort of say, you know, are you going to Woman this year or whatever? I never went, I never did all that world music stuff, but it was around. And um, I think it was also that, that camping trip, which was just, um, oh, it felt very free and kind of grown up, you know. And I, I, it also vividly reminds me of my introduction to another artist, because it was on the way back from that camping trip, we were driven home by some older guys from school and they were playing G's and Hustlers. No, yeah, G's and Hustlers from um, Doggy Style by Snoop Dogg. And that was the first time I heard that. Um, I think this stands the test of time. I mean, it's, it's in that yeah. tradition of Graceland and what's the Rai Kuda album? Yeah, the tradition of yeah. ripping off people from poorer countries and probably giving them very minimal royalties. Uh, <laughs> but let, interesting to look into that, actually. But you're right, I well, expected it to be cringeworthy, but it's, it's a lullaby. I don't know how the, the, the royalties were split by Deep Forest, who were two French musicians, Michael Sanchez and Eric Mugui. Um and uh, whether they did things right by the community or not. But this also reminds me of what Moby would go on and do. Yeah. Uh, He used kind of deep south spirituals and then set them to dance music, didn't he? Yeah, it is a bit proto-Moby. I'm trying to find out if there was any great scandal about the royalties, but it doesn't seem there was, which is good. But yeah, that's... Uh, interesting that I put it on that list. So I'm, I'm glad we made that list in 2001 because it's literally something I would have probably completely forgotten. You know, I wouldn't have forgotten that Pixies moment. I wouldn't have forgotten the Levelers, but I might have just forgotten that. So before I go on to my next one, I'm going to highlight some other songs on the defining list that haven't made this evening's episode. Um, from my list, Closer by Nine Inch Nails, of course, appeared in the first episode we did around Alan Mulder. Um, Blasphemous Rumours by Depeche Mode uh, was a, was a, another one that I had in my defining list. A great song. Um, Basket Case by Green Day reminded me of a club called The Rift in Durban, where I went wow. with my cousin Katie. Uh, and I had Don't Look Back in Anger, which was uh, a song that reminded me of arriving in England. Although I think in, in the Britpop episode, I chose Cigarettes and Alcohol. Um yeah, that's the one I now have in my head when I envisage you on your plane over from South Africa. Ones that you haven't chosen. Alive by Pearl Jam reminded you when you were 15 and you went to indie clubs. Uh, Starman by David Bowie reminded you of your first year in Cambridge. I think we covered that a little bit in 97 Eclectica. Um, and you've actually, you've, you've been self-referential with a song called Sputum by The Cling, which uh, is something we both recorded. Um, and as a little tease to future episodes, is something we're not going to play tonight, but something we will hopefully digitise in weeks to come. Yes, when we find the definitive version, it will be shared. So we've played songs off Odelay, we've played songs off uh, Mellow Gold, and tonight we're going to play O Maria, by Beck. I could have picked any song off this album, but I chose O Maria back in 2001 as my best song. Um, Mutations was an album that reminds me of my second year at Cambridge. And 
I used to come home from whatever fun thing that we did, and we did do a lot of fun things, and I put this on my CD player and smoke a cigarette and it, in bed, and um, and always fall asleep to mutations. So I didn't always make it through to the end of the album, but I listened to it almost every night, um, and I loved it. It's recorded. Uh, it was produced by. Nigel Godrich, who was obviously uh, famous having done the Radiohead stuff, and we've spoken about him. Um, but this, again, harks back to that slight, um, what would you call it? I guess barroom, chanson, music hall, cabaret, vaudevillian style of song. It's called Oh Maria. this in um, a house on Fitzwilliam Street in Cambridge and I my room was next door to Nick Harrop who's a, a mutual friend and uh, Jim who you'll know from listening to other podcasts listeners um, also lived in the same house and at that time Jim and I were in a play called The Dumb Waiter uh, by Harold Pinter a two-hander at the whatever that small small theatre is the playroom um, oh yeah and um, this was a soundtrack to that period of time and I remember us hassling Nick a lot when he was trying to he was the director of the play so we all lived in the same house, Nick was directing it and Jim and I were the two characters in, in The Dumbwaiter and we always used to put on Tropicalia which is also off this album and dance around Nick and disturb him and not let him do his pretentious directing stuff um, because we were just you know, 
Um, behaving very much like my children do now in lockdown. Um, distracting, uh, <laughs> annoying, playful, fun, lovable. Um, at least that's the way I like to remember it. Yeah, I, I didn't realise it was that early. In my mind it was a bit later. I, I remember the period of this album though, whenever it was. And um, just, I was really into it as well. I mean, it's a fantastic album. It was just like, in a way, so different to what Beck had done before. But um, I don't know how it's remembered as part of its broader canon, but uh, it's still one of my favourite albums of Beck's. I'm not sure. It was definitely less commercially successful than Odile, which preceded it, which was a smash hit. Um, and then it's clearly a little bit more sombre and serious than, than Odile and and, uh, and Mellow Gold. You know, there's Nobody's Fault But My Own is quite a dark song, so is Dead Melodies. But what's great is it's not, it's not just a sombre and serious like Sea Change and those ones that came later, which were just like yes. a mood album. And I get yeah. why they're great, because it's like, this is a breakup album or this is an album where... But this album is an eclectic album. Mm. But it, it, yeah, it's got... That's a real standout moment. Also, I love the story about you having a fag listening to it in bed, not least because on my list of songs, I had a song called Don't Smoke in Bed by Nina Simone. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, I don't really know why I put that on there except there's a moment in it I really like and I was obviously very into Nina Simone anyway but that, that tickled me um, the other interesting thing for all the, the, the deep cut fans who want to know um, the details there's an on the internet a video of us in uh, uh, an ugly girl video that was uh, shot and edited by our friend Debs Patterson yeah. and um the fun fact about that is that was recorded and filmed while we were listening to Mutations by Beck. So all of the, the, really? the, the actions of us playing cards, uh, smoking cigarettes and, and doing our funny things, Mutations was playing in That's the background. That's amazing. How do you know that? Because I remember it just being great. We'd, we'd come directly from Rondor Studios. Um, and I remember this because I had you're itching your eye at the moment. I can see over Zoom, yeah, which is oddly reminiscing of how I felt that day. Because <laughs> um, I was dealing with a bout of psoriasis, and I was I remember wearing a, a t-shirt, well, a shirt from um, it was given to me by Simon White, which was an Indian cricket shirt, which features in that video. We'd come from Rondor Studios in West London, where we'd gone and recorded the fastest version of. <laughs> Yep. Uh, was it Ugly Girl? Um, well, yeah, but interestingly, that's not the one that we used in the video. But we did record a very, very, very fast. The video is to the slow version. Yeah. But then, yeah. So we'd gone to the studio, recorded Ugly Girl at about 500 beats per minute, <laughs> then gone back to yours for drinks, ostensibly. Debs turns up with a camcorder. We didn't know she was going to make a video. We put on yeah. mutations. We start arsing around, smoking a lot of cigarettes and, and playing cards. Debs went away and turned it into a fun video. Um, yeah. And she's gone on and done much better productions, I think. <laughs> I don't career. know. The cat's eye production of Ugly Girl is, is up there. But it was surprisingly enduring that video. I remember when we were playing in a band when we became a bit more serious and we made slightly more serious videos and we had more interest. That video would just pop up every now and then. It didn't kind of go away <laughs> which i quite like because there's something about it maybe it's mutations the vibe it created what's the final choice 
Okay, so this uh, song number eight. Okay, so I have to. I guess I have to um, level here with the audience. Um, among these lists, among these lists, Charlie mentioned there were the defining songs list, and there were the um, I don't know, good songs list or something. They were separate lists, and I put one from the latter list on to this podcast. So this wasn't on my defining songs list, but I chose it because. Uh, some of the songs on the defining songs list, either we played them or we played the artists a lot, and I and, and I didn't think they were right. And this band we've also played actually, but I put it on because I remember. I'm, I'm thinking about you know forming bands and writing songs and playing guitar here and and hearing this album for the first time. My sister got it. Uh, my sister, no, my sister had compilations with some of the songs of this album on on, but not this one. And it was a big lead single from the album, Smashing Pumpkin, Siamese Dream. And um, I just remember first hearing it and being like, wow, I want to I want to play this kind of music on guitar and teaching myself how to play the chords with a very specific kind of fingering. And I remember reading Billy Corgan in a magazine talking about how he played that chord. He called it the Hendrix chord because it's a Hendrix ripoff, but just like put through a massive distorted big muff pedal. And I remember hearing the song on the, that, that late night music show and just being a bit like kind of captivated really by the the noise of this band and 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 the sound of this song so in that sense it's quite defining it is cherub rock by the smashing pumpkins
I think it was also the um, the, the sound that Billy Corgan makes in that guitar solo as well. He was realizing you could you could do that kind of stuff. I think most of the guitar solos I'd heard, you know, including from bands I was really into, like Pearl Jam, were, were just quite sort of pedestrian and just whittling away. Whereas that was like screeching and just messing around with different kinds of distortion. At this stage in guitar music, uh, it's it's quite a remarkable feat to do new stuff and to make a new sound. And I think they genuinely did. And I. <laughs> Well done for cho- choosing something off Siamese uh, Dream because you, you've you've chastised me on two occasions in previous podcasts for choosing <laughs> stuff off of uh, Melancholy and saying I really? know, I think the the production I... on um, Siamese Dream is much better um, <laughs> and um, I think you know you're speaking with your guitarist's head on because this yeah. is this is uh, definitely the sound is gorgeous and big um, I don't know what the song's about but. Um, it's, it's, it's a guitar song rather than a singing and lyrics song, isn't it? Yeah, I'm definitely talking with a guitarist head on, yeah. <laughs> uh, so I think it was just... that That's it, that's why it's on here. It, it was just about the, the noises. And I mean, listening back, the, the wall of sound stuff, like when I discovered the Loveless by My Bloody Valentine and other stuff like that, where you can kind of hear where some of this is, is, is perhaps coming from. And But when I heard it, you know, it was just like... Wow, I, I want to be able to do do that, <laughs> make that kind of a noise. Um, we yeah. did try. It's it's hard, isn't it? It's harder than yeah. It's harder than you, you might think. You can make that much noise. You can make that much noise, but to make it just to make it smooth like that, um, mm. it's it requires Butch Vig and Alan Mulder and all these kind of people. Yeah. Um, so I don't have so much that... more to say about it. Like you say, lyrically, no idea what's going on there, really. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's it's wonderful, and I'm glad that bands like the Pixies and Smashing Pumpkins and Blur are revealing themselves gradually over the course of many episodes, um, and, and touching different bits of our influence. We don't have um, so the kind of like the premise of this episode is this this list. Yeah. Um, it doesn't feature any songs we would then go on and record. So we've just picked a song from our back catalogue um, and we're going to talk about some memories around that song. Uh, and and hopefully that's enough of a non-tenuous link. Yeah, I think, um, well, let's see what happens when we listen to it. Obviously, the, the one thread through these songs has been, well, they're, they're, they're all songs we wrote down in 2001, but they did so because they remind us of things, they evoke things, they were definitive in some way. Now, this is not a song... The, the song you're going to play now is it's not, I don't know, it's not one of our, the big songs that that, that sort of defined us as a band, as, as the cling, what we were at the time. But I think it came at an interesting juncture when we were at our, perhaps at our most confident, I don't know. I think it's one of the best recording sessions that we did. It comes from that one of the best recording sessions. So at the very end of being in the cling, we went to a studio in Chelsea called Chelsea Reach or something. Chelsea um, Reach, yeah. With with Jack Reynolds, who would go on and record mental notes at uh, the Seeing Scarlet album. But I think Jack did his best work with the cling at that studio. Um, we did two separate sessions. One, um, we, we did a couple of songs 
citizen bury you we did good advice we did slightly more than none at all and i think we might have done another version of the boat song or no we did uh okay no we did two um, sessions there were two sessions so sorry the first one we did the boat song bury you happy hell and citizen and then the second one we did badlands good advice and slightly more and i love both those sessions bury you we still have a fragment of your original demo. We don't have the original one. We have a, a one minute, 20 seconds of your original demo of the song, which I think it might be worth playing after we've heard the Kling version because it's, it speaks to maybe where we went slightly awry in this Kling version. But let's play the Kling version and um, we'll discuss it after. <laughs> Three very distinct memories about that song. 
So, shall I give you the first one? Yeah, go. First one is arriving in a cab at dawn at Egbert Street, um, having spent all night recording it, oh. and you know that that last little refrain of saxophone. I remember us just. We'd obviously listened to it on repeat so many times. We were just going. Nah, nah, da, 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 oh, yeah. da, 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 da. I think I remember that. Yeah. Uh, and um, we didn't know if we'd recorded a good song or not because that was all we could remember. Um, and I think on the cab journey back, there was a guy listening to some uh, some smooth radio, and I remember him playing a song. That went. This used to be your house, but now it's another man's home. And we made a joke around that. Um, yeah, I remember that. The second memory I have of this song is uh, our band would split up very soon after that, and um, I remember driving through Cape Town with Lucinda Engelhart, who's a mutual friend who was living out there, and she she. We we decided to play her what we just recorded, and um, she seemed to kind of take a, a different meaning to the song, um, and it, it it affected her kind of like quite emotionally. But I think it was that was more a projection of of, of something that was going on um, with the filming of uh, what was that Carmen Ukayalicha, which is a film that she produced at the time. Um, she loved. So it. I remember listening to it in Cape Town. She did. She did. Yeah, I remember that. Um, the third memory I have is taking that recording in uh, to a place in Camden. Ritu. Where there was a, Ritu and Wolfie. Yes, go on. <laughs> was go it on. you and I? We both went in. Yeah, yeah. So there were these two uh, girls who ran a fanzine called Pira, Sarah and oh. Nadia. They were, they were collectively known as the Pira Girls. And... Um, they what I think Sarah was was interning for Ritu Morton, who was a music PR yeah. person who was married to the manager of Razorlight, someone else, Morton. Um, and they shared an office with Wolfie, and Wolfie was a radio publicist. And we went in and played this demo to them. And I remember just sitting there listening to this song, thinking, What are they thinking? Yeah, um, yeah. I don't think I either of them took us on as a band but we would we'd split up anyway very soon afterwards so. yeah we did and I, I remember that i was gonna say that i remember ritu i'd forgotten that that guy wolfie was there too they were in the same office so we played it to both at the same time didn't we is that is that right mm -hmm. yeah and ritu morton was married to roger morton who um i can't remember what his relationship was but she was razor lights publicist right uh, was he Razorlight's manager? I can't remember, but he yes, yes, he was okay. And I remember he was—I think he was also a journalist at some point. He wrote one of the first reviews in the Enemy of the Jocasta gig. I remember that he was so he was around back in the nineties. But um, yeah, I remember that, and I specifically remember the end of the song and that that little sax on the outro, and, and just being a bit like—and they were in, intrigued by. It. I think we played them Badlands and some other stuff maybe at the same time, but um, yeah, in fact that that memory is actually stuck in my mind in a way and tainted some of those re recordings and maybe that song particularly because we split up we never really went anywhere with it. It was nice listening to it again because I don't know, I I, I like the song. It was, you know, when it's in full flow, I think it's a it's a good song and it just ends to I think it's an a, excellent song. And I I do think we've got a few it's a bit it's a bit too jaunty and actually I like the horns there's some great stuff in it, but it just ends. And we hadn't 
really thought about what it would do after the second chorus, and that's a shame. So it must like just this, needed more the, work. This cling yeah. version is jaunty. Yeah, I mean that's well. If you play the beginning of the other one, I, I, I think it's too fast. I mean, it's just a bit too. I think it's a bit faster and jauntier than I'd intended it to be. But I, I still like it. I mean, I like the recording of what we did. But we at that time we didn't really think about tempo in any. You know, we just didn't really think about it. We didn't sit down and think exactly what tempo does this need to be. Exactly what kind of how jaunty or how in a way that you know a more mature band might do. And that that's yeah. created some great moments, like Giant Lady or whatever. But I, I wouldn't be as generous to use the word jaunty. I think it's stop start. It's a bit angular. It's a bit too. It's kind of like predating the future heads in a way. It's it's kind of like. Um, I mean, why don't, why don't we play what we mean? Because this well, comes. This is one. Of, this is your original song, and and I think. Like we, we we can't hear the whole song because the whole song doesn't exist. But what I think your demo shows very nicely is, it's it's more of an indie track and it's more um, it's you play the drums in a quite loose. Yeah, quite loose <laughs> I don't want to build this up like it's gonna sound shit. Um, but uh, it would be a very no no no. Mood, it's it's, it's definitely mood. a demo and it's done with acoustic guitars. I think as well. Can't remember. Um, I I think it's it it evokes a Nirvana to me as well because I think you've yeah. got that thing that. Kurt Cobain slightly did with with a low vocal and the high yeah. vocal. That was very each other. Um, conscious. That was very yeah. conscious, and so that's why I think the mood of the Kling version is so different. But I also like the Kling version, so I don't. Yeah, you're being loyal to the King Kling version, but I think we could have probably done this better justice by. And that's where it ends. Um, so who knows where the full recording of that lives? But to me, that that's that's an early Foo Fighters or a late Nirvana song. Um, just I should just in, correct in some respects. I should just correct myself there because obviously the tempo is almost exactly the same, or it's possibly even faster. So it's not about tempo. It's about yeah, it's something about the stop startiness and the. I think I. I had in mind just something straighter without just kind of like, but we weren't. Yeah, with those those muted, damped little power. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, whatever, really. I mean, I think, you know, had we not immediately split up, we would have probably toyed around with the song and played it a bit more. I don't even remember playing it live much because we, you know, didn't have many opportunities to. But 
it is interesting you know hearing those it's interesting how in my mind the version i did on my demo is much slower and actually it wasn't slow it's just a, it's just that mm. difference in terms of the uh rhythmical you know approach who knows if we'll ever unpack why the cling split up on these podcasts but there are obviously reasons why a band splits up and um you can hear those reasons in the recording of the the cling version um there was there was there was a lot going on um and there was a lot of lovely stuff going on but um lots of different forces pulling in different directions and um uh yeah it's 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 potentially an interesting one to think about if we ever get back in the studio and 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 maybe revisit some of these songs because i wouldn't mind having another go at that yeah yeah and and maybe just trying trying it in a, in, in a different kind of style altogether. There, there are mm. other songs we have, and we may have played some of them, or we may yet, where you just think, wouldn't it be interesting if, you know, and, and as, as I listen to podcasts, and I, you know, I know you listen to some of these same podcasts, where you hear bands talking about their music, and you hear producers talking, and you hear older bands, and, and you hear more and more stories where you're like, you know, this kind of song was a, started off as a slow dirge and then someone said let's make that a fast punk song or it started off as a reggae song and someone said let's slow it down half to pace and you know some of the great songs have been through that journey and of course in the heat of being in a band in Camden when you're 23 you don't do very much of that um you know for better or worse but there, there are songs where yeah you can imagine there could be something else altogether and there might yet be so listeners to this podcast we don't have an infinite supply of songs i think we've got enough to last us a good few more episodes yet but if you want us to continue then you're going to need to start listening in more droves i'd say i reckon we've got huddles that we have currently we've got more songs than listeners and that's the important thing (laughs) (laughs) and that will you know maybe always be the case we do have a lot we have a lot but um, if the listeners do start coming in droves, then perhaps there may be a second incarnation where we start going back to bury you and doing yeah. uh, alternative recordings. That's but it. for now, you're going to have to rely on the back catalogue. Um, and on that note, I think we should draw the episode to a close. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining us on yet another indulgent journey into our musical and uh, transportive transport based bus journey and um, associated moment (laughs) (laughs) night everyone good night